Welcome to the Before You Buy or Sell a Business podcast, where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process, discuss recent transactions, and stay up to date on the latest news in the market. Here's your host, Jared Johnson. All right, so today I've got Michael Johnson uh, here on the show. Um, unfortunately, no relation, you know, here. <laughs> Uh, and you're also not the sprinter that won all the no, gold no, medals, no, unfortunately. Yeah, so thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Cool. So, uh, you know, I definitely would like to just start with kind of diving into your background, um, you know, what you did before you decided to buy a business and ultimately buy one. What what was your kind of life before that? Yeah, so r- roughly 32 plus years in the industry that I ultimately acquired a business in which is multi-skilled maintenance, integrated facility services, uh, worked for a public com- or a private company for 15 years, uh, worked my way into management in about five years, started out as a helper, worked my way into management, and oversaw the construction of another factory because we grew very quickly. It was a vinyl window extrusion company. So think of uh, uh, Pella windows, Anderson windows. We would uh, extrude the vinyl frames. They would take them kind of like a two by four, cut them to size, and weld them together, and then they ultimately became the windows. But we'd help to design the windows, extrude the windows, and we were also a, a partner that would go to their factory and help them with their flow of materials and production refinements and things like that. And I did a little bit of that in the back end, but was with that company for 15 years uh, and went to vocational school during that time. And after I made it to the uh, management rank and file, uh, I decided that I probably should go to college <laughs> to uh, stay behind that desk. Uh, and had a talk with my, and this is kind of a cool story, but I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it, but uh, it was annual review time, and you know he, he's, he was struggling with calling me a full-blown maintenance manager, uh, and, and I was like, what, what is it going to take for you to recognize me for what I am? And I'm blessed in, in, in this regard, my mother, I get it from her. I, I was 30 years old, but I looked like I was 13. So when people come in and ask for Michael Johnson, maintenance manager or facilities and maintenance manager, I'd walk in and they're like, Who, who's this kid? Give me the ma-. So uh, I'm sitting in front of him and gives me these uh, great re- annual review and, you know, gives me this pump up speech about how I'm making more than anybody in the factory except him. And, and, and he really trusts me. And I was like, what's it going to take for you to call me what I am? He goes, well, you need an engineer's degree. And I, I sat back and thought about it for a minute and, and it was like, why, why would I go to college to get the job I already have to do what I'm already doing to make the money I'm already making? Why wouldn't I instead go to college to get your job? Well, fast forward, I went to college, got the degree and ultimately, well, um, we'll get to that point, but president CEO of my own company now, right? So yeah. kind of uh, that, that conversation kind of inspired me to go for more, right? Um, so the company ended up selling about 10 years after that conversation. Uh, and my career pretty much flatlined. It went as high as I could in the organization. Uh, but what I will say is the company saw that I had the gift to gab, uh, and they started sending me to uh, other uh, clients to help them with their process refinements and, and the, the flow of their materials and everything else, and, and improve the automation on their equipment. So I, I, I lean more towards the, we'll say the electrical side, but we had a staff of many, many maintenance guys, HVAC technicians, electricians, uh, general skills, welders, the works, right? And that all ties back together later in this conversation, right? right? So uh, the company went public, uh, some preliminary conversations about me becoming a general manager, and, and I knew what the plan was. A public company comes in and cleans house. And people that I've been working with for 15 years, I didn't want to be any part of that. So I declined sold my farm, sold my boat, sold, sold all this stuff I had acquired, uh, and, and just packed up and left for Phoenix. 
and left my resume floating. And about a month later, I found, or a company found my resume and uh, I went in and interviewed uh, for a integrated facility services operations manager for Honeywell, which is right there on the Phoenix airport. That mm-hmm. whole yellow strip of buildings there, I was the operations manager for maintenance there for oh, cool. a very short stint. Um, um, and, and truth be said, I was hired through a recruiting agency, so I was still on their payroll. My 90 days hadn't expired, and they asked me to go to Baltimore uh, for Honeywell, or not Honeywell, for Unilever Home and Personal Care to be the okay. maintenance and facilities manager uh, for the big uh, factory where they make Snuggle and Whisk and all that kind of stuff. So uh, so I started with the company in Phoenix. I just moved there, just got everything out of storage into a temporary apartment. While this is 2005, while I'm looking for a house, thank God I didn't stay and buy a house because the market tanked. But yeah. um, they sent me to Baltimore as an interim account manager. They were going to backfill that role, but uh, the client said, we want Michael to stay and, and we'll renew the contract if he does. So I fell on the sword, took it for the company and moved to Baltimore. And I was there for two years. And, and just through moves and promotions and everything else, by the time I left the company uh, a couple of years ago, well, about a year and three months ago, uh, I had been promoted up through from operations manager to account manager to national program manager to uh, national program director to oper- or, uh, national director of oper- senior director of operations, which is a VPN training. That make and model for that business was we would sell to, let's say, the AMDs of the world, the Facebooks of the world, um, LinkedIn, and I'm naming clients that I work with, Workspace, uh, we're not Workspace, I think it's Workspace, uh, HR, you know, software company. But we would do janitorial, we would do uh, embedded maintenance technicians, full-time people that would just be nothing but dedicated to that that industrial account, that commercial account or whatever, data centers and name it. But I, I had a portfolio that was end-to-end, corner-to-corner in the United States, including Puerto Rico and Canada. And I had as many as 600 employees, uh, up to 50 different books of business and responsible for all aspects of operations, including profits and losses. So a very diverse background from, and I want to talk about that later too, but a very diverse background when it comes to business, but I'm also skilled trades uh, centric. And, and and that is really why uh, uh, I wanted to go and stay in that venue. Um, so I'm taking a step back or, or better yet. And if you don't mind me going into the, go the part where, yeah. you know, what, what, what made you go out on your own? I knew I wanted to, uh, mm-hmm. when I got my MBA, ultimately got my MBA, um, I was doing that for me, not for the company. And, and, you know, of course the company sponsored me and helped pay for some of that, uh, tuition. But, um, at the end of the day, my, my boss is saying, you already know what you're doing. You're already doing a great job. I le- leave it at your own accord. And, and you help sell all this business. Um, why are you doing this? I told him straight out, it's not for you. It's for me. I didn't say why, but it's <laughs> right, for me. Yeah. kind of thing. And, uh, so, uh, finished school. Uh, the company asked me to move at the time I was in Indianapolis, uh, in the re- what took me there was Rolls Royce, North America Aviation, so multiple locations across the U.S. for them, and, and that's more of the industrial side of uh, you know the mechanics and everything else, and they still have a huge presence in that area. But they helped them, uh, kind somewhat helped them design a factory in Virginia, uh, Stennis Space Center in Mississippi, where they test all their turbines and uh, real cool like Houston, you know we have a problem type <laughs> yeah. stuff, um, but. Um, very, very fickle, tough customer. Ultimately, I handed that business off to someone else, and I took over some pharmaceutical manufacturing facilities, uh, Manatee, Puerto Rico, you know, just all over Cincinnati, um, all over the place, several locations, and, and developed that business. And what, what the model is is they have their own maintenance staff. 
could be 60 people, could be three people. And they don't want to be experts in maintenance. They want to be experts in production and mm -hmm. manufacturing pharmaceuticals, for instance. So uh, they want to hire experts to run their maintenance department. So they hire us as subject matter experts to come in there and raise the bar. Um, and, and that's what we would do. And we'd have metrics that we'd have to report out on every month, including uh, depending on it could be a fixed price scenario where you're going to give us maintenance and it's let's say $10 million a year and that's your budget and you, you got to make it work. But we also expect you to incrementally improve the services or it could be cost plus or whatever. Every account was different. But at the end of the day, you, you had to march to the orders of the clients and, and, and their needs, but also the organizational needs, which is profits and losses and safety performance and da-da-da, and, and you're measured on that. But at the end of the day, we would take over a maintenance staff, no different than me taking over the staff that was already there. So I'd been through that process a hundred times, knew the, what to say the right way and how to slowly navigate into it um, and how to take over the business and, and, and learn the business. And, and one of the philosophies that I was instilled in me early in my career was think, seek first to understand, then to be understood. So you don't go in there with a big stick and say, I'm the boss, I'm, I'm the new sheriff in town and start swinging a big stick. Sit back and learn the processes that are in place and everything. And I'm kind of getting a cart in front of the horse in that regard, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, this is you know something that you and I had discussed before, and yeah. I think you you had uh, a big you know broad stroke as far as experience, but ultimately, um, I think when you went to look for a business to yep. acquire, you tried to stay something that you kind of understood, kind of knew, yep. um, and could obviously come in and and utilize your exceptional management experience anywhere but if it was something that was at least connected to what you've been doing then yep. kind of makes sense so um you know you had a, a very diverse background that that readily prepared you um you had education as well so safe to say you were you were ready to make that leap i think you were getting there but there was there was ultimately something that kind of almost pushed you to to make yep. that decision so yeah, and thank you for getting me back on path. So uh, I move here, I'm working, I'm really not enjoying my job anymore. They keep piling more and more on me. Mm. Uh, great relationship with those people I worked around me, but I'll just say it, the company abused me because I allowed them to, right? Uh, and I didn't enjoy life for the 15 years I'd worked for them. Uh, every weekend, every holiday, you can go down the list. I worked in some form or fashion. I had to stop what I was doing and do something to take care of a client, month-end closings or, or whatever, and the girlfriend was watching this and her being a business owner uh she she was like michael you've been talking about it i've known you for a year now just do it mm -hmm. you know and you, know, you have the capital you have the fortitude or intestinal fortitude to do it you just need to make the leap uh and, and what she didn't know is i was already kind of looking for things in the background because i knew i had this five-year plan that i told her about but i just wanted to own my own business at the end of that five years so sometimes we just need need yep, that, that uh that, that, push, that, that push. person that cares about us to yep. give us a little kick <laughs> yep. and and, and, and uh, she even says it now as selfish in some regard she wanted my time because she just wasn't mm. getting much of it because i was always working yeah and she likes to travel and she is at a point in her life where she's enjoying it and, and she wanted me to enjoy it with her. So she gave me that kick in the butt. And uh, and then we really started to dig in. And, and uh, you know, it, so, yeah, she, she's the one who kicked me in the butt. Yeah, well, obviously it ended up working out. So, okay, so you started looking um, for something that kind of made sense for you from mm -hmm. a business standpoint that was uh, kind of up your alley. Yeah. So how would you find the business? How were you doing, you know, kind of your search for the business what, what were you doing to, to find the right one? Yeah, and, and you know, those conversations, uh, sharing the, the, the little 
whatever that we go through when we're going through something like this. And there's a lot of them. Uh, so she started looking, I started looking, um, and we came across the organization that I ultimately acquired. And interesting enough, I came across a lot of others. I, I was really focused on HVAC mm -hmm. and, and in Vegas, you would think it's plentiful and there would be a lot out there for sale. Um, too big for me, right? Uh, I didn't have enough capital to go that large. Uh, and I really wanted to take something and make it bigger. That's what mm -hmm. I did with my prior jobs, right? So um, I wanted to get back to the grassroots, have a small mom and pop shop and, and see what we can do with it. And, and so this company just kind of crossed our path. Uh, and it was a very diversified company. Uh, and what I mean by that, well, both the staff, but also the service offerings. They were founded on welding, right? Uh, so think of, you know, gate systems for HOAs or apartment complexes, including the, you know, operators and all that good stuff, meaning what opens and closes the gates. Uh, but at wrought iron gates, gates on the side of the house, anything welded, uh, fencing, that's really what they got into, as well as carports, commercial carport repairs and things like that. Uh, but more, more importantly, and really what caught my attention, but they had that license, that contractor's license, but they also had an electrical license and they also had a general contractor's license, which opens a lot of venues for us. Mm -hmm. uh, but they weren't chasing too many of them, but it allowed me the, the platform to expand very quickly if I wanted to. So, uh, the, uh, but that has, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because of the, the licensing. You've got to have the background to be able to test yeah. or even get approved to test by way of the contractor's board. And so you've got to get the letters, recommendation letters. You've got to have the proof that you've done this work. For so, you know, so welding was probably the hardest one for me to get, although I had welders throughout my organization, but it has to be a primary, you know, uh, 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 job mm -hmm. that you have overseen in four of the last 15 years, and you have to have proof of that. So that was the hardest one, electrical. I was already a master electrician in Kentucky, uh, although I let it lapse, but I already had that background. That, that license, the easy one, it's, it's the C14, what they call C14 here in, in Vegas, which is structural steel and welding. So uh, yeah, I, that, one, that one was an uh, end. It, it, maybe this is a perfect segue to talk about. Uh, now we'll get to the closing process later. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. So when you were looking for the business, you you liked what you had seen. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mainly because of the opportunity, you like to kind of go into things and improve them, clean them up. I mean, it's yep. literally what your job was uh, before. So did you find the business on Biz Buy Sell? Did you? How did so, you, so you find the listing? I, I believe the broker is Sun Brokers, isn't that where Alan was? Yeah. 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 We we found it on his listings and uh and i meant to say this earlier it's the only business that i actually we meaning because there's there's a buying broker and i had a, a, a my buying broker and then there was a selling broker uh this is the only one we dug in on or okay. reached out to I, I i saw other ones that i read about them but i never reached out for more information this is the first and only one i reach out to which is a rare rare uh, thing i think yeah i mean i think a lot of times though people um when you're looking for something fairly specific, it, it sometimes it's difficult to find mm -hmm. that that one that meets and that meets everything you're looking for. And then when you do, you're like, okay, it's time to to jump on this and go. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that that will kind of hunt for a deal, and if you have just a wide open box of what you're looking for, then you can kind of sift through a lot of things. Yep. Um, and you know, going through the process over and over again. Uh, can get tiring and a lot of people don't want to do that. So when they see one that makes sense, that's kind of up their alley, then they, they usually jump on yeah. it. So wasn't probably wasn't too difficult of a decision um, once you found it. So decided that was the, the right one for you. 
or at least felt good about it. So yeah. what was the process like when you were kind of doing your due diligence to see if you wanted to make an offer? Yeah. So the front end, that's the easy part, right? Asking questions about a company. I, I didn't ask near enough questions. Uh, uh, once we started really going through the due diligence, I, I trusted and didn't do a good job verifying on a few things. Well, a handful of things and very important things. We'll talk about that. But having that initial meeting with the current owners or the former owners, but at the time the current owners, uh, and getting that warm and fuzzy from them and digging into operations a little bit and seeing how the, the ebb and flow of the business and, and, and asking those leading questions to qualify what they say they are all about, which was the diversity of the, the, the service offerings, which mm -hmm. is what I was most interested in. Uh, operationally, you know, we can do refinements and that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the front end was fun uh, and easy. Uh, and, and, you know, it kind of lit a fire and got me uh, anxious and, and started me pushing forward. What, what, I, what I will say is, you know, going back to all of my, let's say, background, the, the skills, the experience I had and everything else, and, and the MBA, which I did for me, so I was prepared to take on or acquire a business or purchase a business. I went in uh, a bit overconfident. Mm. and was humbled very quickly by the process. I guess my word to the wise is uh, don't go in thinking you know everything because you don't. Uh, and, and I'm going to give you kudos and I'll, I'll do so later as well. You, Alan, uh, my uh, buying broker, uh, were there for every question I need needed uh, and helped me work through that ignorance. Uh, but going back here, uh, the front end was easy. And then you have to prove that you have the capital. And then you got to prove that you have the skills and the experience and all those other things uh, to the people who are going to be lending you the money. And, and, and even well before that, to the broker who's trying to sell you the business. Yeah. He bets you before you even get started down that path. So you get right out of the gate, you got to prove your worth, right? Yeah, it's a, it, and then you throw in the, the emotions and, oh. you know, the nervousness. And I mean, you, you wanted to be done with your corporate job, but you were getting paid very well and mm -hmm. you earned your your uh you know your stripes and you moved up quickly and and spent a lot of time in it and that's what you knew so that makes you a little nervous as well so yeah, yeah i mean i think i think that's great that there's some advice there um there are a lot of people that kind of go oh, i know what i'm doing i can do this and then they jump in and kind of go oh my gosh this is crazy you know and i think the people that quickly adapt and say okay i guess i didn't know this or i didn't know that it's not how i thought it was supposed to go and frankly that's one of the main reasons I want to do this podcast is so people can see how the process goes and they can learn about it because looking online and, and searching and talking to their friends, uh, it's a lot different than a lot of people think. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was great. So, all right. So then you got kind of to the point where you were comfortable with the deal and, and you wanted to, to move forward. Um, if I remember correctly, originally you weren't going to buy the building with the business. I, so originally I was going to buy the building and the business. Uh, okay. And then just going through the process and, and, and sorting through some details and, and, and some, some caveats and, you know, th things that came up and, and my ignorance played out and, and it, it cost me a few dollars along the way. Right. But at the end of the day, uh, I back started to lament and back off and say, just the business, not the building. I can do the building later, which by the way, buying the building was probably as much of a good decision as buying the business. It, it, that value has gone up very quickly mm -hmm. on, on the building. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was just because the, the, the finish line was moving a bit and, and I just didn't want to have uh, too many 
people looking over my shoulders after the acquisition, uh, which is just part of the process in the SBA. And again, that's just my ignorance. Uh, but yeah, I, I ultimately ended up buying both. Yeah. So came to, came to an agreement on that. Um, came to me, I, I was able to work with you on the financing. Yep. Um, yep. feel free to, you know, spill <laughs> yeah. all that. And like, yeah, I know I it wasn't the, the easiest process in the world. Um, the SBA loans never, never go hundred percent smoothly, but you know, so when I started the process and it was time to go and seek financing, when, once we agreed that, okay, we want to go down this path, the owners, myself, the brokers going to go down this path. I of course reached out to the selling broker, Ellen, uh, for recommendations on where to go. And he gave me three or four, uh, I think it was four. And, and then I'm going to have to talk to him. I'm just kidding. You know. <laughs> I'm, to, I'm totally <laughs> yeah. right. and, and then of course, uh, the, the broker that I was working on, on my side, uh, gave me some local references, spent some time, uh, did my due diligence on each of them and ultimately settled with you. And it was funny, right? You said, I've got to get your business. Our last names are Johnson. Right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, ultimately you put me in a comfortable place faster. Uh, uh, you, you answered my questions more succinctly than the others. Uh, I kind of felt like I would have been played by others and I felt like you, um, were more honest and, and we did have that last name. But no, you and your team throughout the process, and I'm not just saying that because we're sitting in the room and you invited me in to do this podcast, which by the way, thank you very much. Uh, I love to talk. <laughs> uh, you guys were very, every time I, I had a question, sometimes I didn't ask as much as I should have. And I, I learned that, you know, uh, hindsight. Uh, but you guys answered every question. And oftentimes I did an email, so I had a record of it, right? Uh, but we did get on the phone once in a while and talk through some things. But uh, when it's something I felt I needed something in record, you, know, you were quick to just respond an email or text or otherwise and answer those questions. So that part of the process, the closing checklist and all that good stuff, you guys give me framework. I just follow the directions and, you know, there's a few things I would ask questions for uh, on that I did, still didn't make sense. And those are the ones I probably should have kept prodding and poking. And I just accepted it is, okay, it is what it is moving on. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, the, the life insurance policy, the collateral-based life insurance policy, having the liens on both my house, my properties, my investment property, stuff like that. And, and I, of course, reached out to a friend who uh, does loans and mm -hmm. stuff like that on mortgages, and, and, and he said, Michael, just go with it. It does. You know, in a couple of years, you're going to probably refinance anyways and da-da-da. So at the end of the day, there's some things I should have pushed back on because I could have, and I just didn't know I could. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and I'm not helping your business in that regard right now by saying those things. So no, but, yeah. I mean the, the SBA loan is, is like, like I said, is, is very complicated. Um, you know, kind of for listeners, as far as like kind of explaining a little bit more. So, um, with an SBA loan, if there's a, a shortfall of collateral, so you bought the building mm -hmm. and the business. Yep. So the business didn't necessarily have much collateral, maybe a little bit of equipment, um, some, some inventory. I remember some of it was old. We could probably talk about that in a minute. Yeah, no, um, yeah. So at the end of the day, there was a little bit of a shortfall there as far as, yeah. um, the value of the building and the value of the business and, and kind of what came with the business. So we're required to take a lien on any real estate that's available. So that's what we ended up doing. Now, if there's still a shortfall, then you're also required to get life insurance. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the, the rule is, is always a little frustrating for, for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's people that often say, yeah, I don't want to do it because I don't want to take a lien on my house. Um, there's some people that don't have any real estate 
and it's just up to the lender to decide if they want to make the loan. So, you know, it, it almost feels like sometimes people feel like the SBA lender is punishing you for having equity in real estate. But unfortunately, we're just following the rules. Yeah, so. you got you got they got to protect themselves. You're using their money to carry the float the business. Right. So, no, I get it. And that's why I signed off on it and went down. And I, I did. I inquired with a local mm-hmm. friend uh, that is in similar business. Right. He said it doesn't matter. <laughs> just, yeah. Just go with it. If yeah, you really there's, want there's to do this pushback, but yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, um, I feel like what a lot of people and what, what they kind of come back and tell me years later is, man, I was so worried about that or my spouse was so worried about mm-hmm. me, you know, putting up our house as collateral. But at the end of the day, I was all in anyways, so might as well be completely all in. Yeah. And most of them, you know, three, four years later, had paid everything off and were doing fantastic and said, I shouldn't have giving you such a hard time about it because I just should have got in there, got the business and, yeah. and made it explode like I did. I so, but yeah, there, it's, it's always a sticking point and, and rightfully so, cause it is a little frustrating, but yeah. I, I, it wasn't frustrating. It, it, it was more about my ignorance. And, and again, you guys were there to feel the questions. Some of them, I just should have asked more questions. On. Okay. Not your guys fault, my fault entirely. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, me being a little bit too cocky maybe mm. and just not wanting to show my ignorance. So and, but at the end of the day, yeah, bought both the uh, the company and and the property and and. So did you um, set up a separate entity for the real estate and one for the business? Yeah, so that I was another change of the midnight that, hour. Yeah. yeah, so I, I uh, by way of advisement of others, uh, I, I already had uh, uh, LLC. I don't know if I can say, it, but I had an mm. LLC that was had my so I have a trust and I had my. Right. Commercial, not my commercial property, but my rental property, my house, all under this trust, right? Uh, and uh, under this LLC. And uh, when I went to buy the property, my intentions were to put the property under that same LLC be, mm-hmm. uh, as a pod. So a pod is, let's say you have an LLC and you have a property under there and, and you want to add another property and that's easy enough. But if you set it up a certain way, a local attorney here that I worked through said it's a series or a pod. And when we went through this whole process, I had another LLC, which was where I wanted to put myself as uh, called a president or whatever uh, that was an S-corp. And so I didn't get the double taxation. Mm -hmm. I was going to uh, pay myself a management fee every month uh, and take my income or my salary out of that LLC. So I I wouldn't sit on the company's books. I would sit on different company's books. I would be a management, right? And and just through advisement and counting uh, and, and others, that seemed to be the right approach. So fast forward, we're going through the closing process, and I have these LLC set up in the company or, or the SBA process told me we couldn't do the series and pod. It wouldn't work. Uh, it's already formed. It's already in place. I was ready to put the property in there and we had, we, they didn't want that to happen. And maybe you can, again, I didn't ask another enough questions. This is like two, three weeks before closing. And I had to form another LLC, uh, for just the rental property and pull it out of Milan LLC. So, uh, and then Milan would just hold the commercial property that I was buying with the business. Right. Right. So, and it, then you it, had a separate company. So, yeah. In the SBA world, a lot, of, a lot of times we'll call that an EPC, so an eligible passive concern, yeah. would own the real estate and then lease it to yeah. your OC or your operating company right. so that you've got two separate entities. Um, obviously, there's, there's a lot of uh, liability that you're reducing by having them separate. Yeah. Um, you've also got a, a building now that you can depreciate separately. Yeah. Uh, you can collect rent from the operating company. Um, if you ever wanted to sell one or the other, it's a little easier. 
Um, a lot of people will do it that way. Then the, eventually we'll sell the business, keep the building so they can continue to collect rent on it. Yep. So ended up doing it that way, um, yep. which you know normally is fine. Um, when it comes to the SBA loan, if you do that, then and you're buying them at the same time, then they become what we call co-borrowers. So both entities are borrowing the money mm -hmm. because there's one loan that's going to both. So when you do them combined, the SBA allows you to do a longer term depending on the value of the real estate and the value of the business. Correct. So you end up being able to, to combine the two and do a little bit of a longer term, which kind of spreads out your payments, yep. helps you out a little yep. bit. Um, and, you know, and making sure that there's enough cash flow every month helps you out a little bit. So, yeah, yeah so it was a little bit of a complex process um, with, with setting it up that way at the end. So, um, but we got it figured out. You now are, as you mentioned, are happy you bought the building with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have uh, some clients that they won't even look at buying a business unless they can get the building as well. Um, of course, we like it because then you've got another hard asset that comes with it. Uh, long term, it helps you out. You don't have somebody that could eventually go, hey, redeveloping this area or, you know, selling the building, kicking you out and you got to go spend $150,000 to move all your equipment and everything. Yep. And then, of course, you got the the tax benefits of having the building. So Correct, correct. And, and one nice little caveat that came along with that is the loan is bigger mm -hmm. and, and there was incentives for mm -hmm. me sealing uh, yeah. out the SBA loan, right? And, and I wouldn't have known it was there, of course, unless you guys told me. And, and uh, But uh, I think the cap was $9,000 a month for the first three months. Yeah, that was during but, the uh, the COVID relief, yep. if I remember right. Yep. So we had uh, no payments for, I think it was three, three months. months. Yeah, it, it started originally, it was six months for existing loans, which, yep. was, which was great. And then new loans was three months, and then also there was no SBA fee. Um, so saved you some money there. Yep. So I think we probably got you in like right at the right time and got that done. So it made more sense to buy then than if you would have came back a year and a half, two years later, said I want to buy the building, you would have had to pay an SBA fee, plus you wouldn't have had the, the relief on the payment starting out. Now, so. uh, from a timing perspective, not only because of the incentives, but I got back roughly $25,000 uh, yeah, broken up over three months. In other words, paid my mortgage for three mm -hmm. months. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it, it was a beautiful thing and a nice little kickback on top of it. And, you know, buying the business during the COVID era, uh, revenue was slightly down, so mm -hmm. I got it a little bit cheaper than I probably would have otherwise. So yeah. timing-wise, couldn't have been better for yeah. me, right? Yeah, so it was, yeah. A, it was a good time for uh, your girlfriend to give you a little kick in the butt. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Indeed, yeah. yeah and by the way, I am enjoying life a whole lot more than I once did. So, oh, yeah. thank yeah. God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's always much, great to hear. You know, and that's one of the, you know, not not a young man anymore, uh, somewhere in my 50s, and and. You know, uh, the days just keep on ticking, and, and now I get my weekends, I get my nights, uh, we travel, I take long weekends all the time, I take a week off here and there, got a good team, and, and that's, that's part great. of the whole buying process, with it, and we'll get there, I guess. Um, but it's, life is grand right now. Now, and admittedly, and it probably need not be said, but I'm paying myself at least half as much as I once did. Mm -hmm. But I'm okay with that because the equity of the company is growing and the equity right. of the business, uh, the building has grown significantly. Since yeah, it's a, it's a long term, yeah. long term. So place, it's it's so. it's all about the equity growth, and, and I'll get it on the back end. I, I, yeah, as long as my bills are paid and I'm able to enjoy life a bit more, I'm yeah. at a better place. So it'll you know. keep growing. You'll, yeah. you'll keep keep well, getting market share. What what good is having a great salary if you can't enjoy it? Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I I definitely understand that. All right. So back to the transaction. We were. Working through it, uh, we could talk about the inventory. I remember, um, if I recall correctly, uh, you were working on 
getting the inventory, the seller had a number in mind of what they wanted for the inventory. You went and kind of looked at it and said, there was a lot of stuff here that you probably haven't used and are never going to use. And so maybe walk us through kind of what, what did you do with the inventory? Because I know that's something that, that comes up a lot on transactions. So two things kind of tie together, and I'm, I'll touch on both of the first. And so I'm going to go off track for a minute, and I'll come back in. Right. I was with the organization I was with for 15 years, and the prior organization I was 15 years, loyal to fault, right? I had, because of the testing and all mm. that, you know, I had to you know, get the contractor's test done uh, at the tail end of things, I resigned, gave two weeks notice and gave myself two to three weeks in between the time I stopped working to the time the targeted close date. Uh, and and I, I mentioned that because right after I told the selling broker or yeah, the selling broker that I had resigned and the closing, and I was also going through having to prepare for the test and everything, the owner comes back and hits me with two different things. And one is stock asset sale. So remind me to touch on that later. Uh, but, uh, and there's advantages and disadvantages. And we made a change in the midnight hour on that, if you remember right. And it was an advantage to them and somewhat of an advantage to me. But the, once he found out I had resigned, he came and hit me and said, uh, you know, we're showing $12,000 inventory on the books, but it's just a plug number. We don't really know what we have out there, but I want another $120,000 for inventory. Right. Uh, I remember now. Yeah. So he just had not updated the balance sheet for a, a long period of time and it just kept carrying over as $12,000. So they never right. did an inventory count, mm -hmm. never updated it. So, uh, you know, a, a good thing for, for a buyer to, to kind Absolutely. of pay attention to, look at the balance sheets over year over year, kind of track the inventory. Yep. Um, sometimes even some of the debt just sits there and doesn't go down. So yep. it can be a little confusing. A lot of business owners don't understand the books. They don't know exactly what, what to look for. They kind of say, I'm good at welding, have uh, And that was him. You know, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. which which is understandable. It happens. Um, and then I guess from a seller's standpoint, you know, learn your books, uh, make sure you're ready <laughs> when when you go to sell, you pay attention to all those stuff and have everything cleaned up before you go. So Yeah. And so he hit me with that and I I, I bought because mm -hmm. before that they wanted to convert from an asset sale to a stock sale. And even when I came into the business, I asked two questions. They were incorporated. And it was like, why are you incorporated? This business should not be incorporated. And they said we had bad, uh, they were advised to incorporate the business. And it's always been that way, but it wasn't the right solution. As a C-Corp. Right? Yeah, yeah, as a C-Corp. They were also doing an asset sale. And, and it made more sense to me to do a stock sale. Mm -hmm. However, their broker, their selling broker, could only do asset sales. Uh, so they yes. found Alan and, mm -hmm. and Alan said, well, I can do an asset sale and let's go down that direction. And, and so where they failed as a seller, um, you have three best friends, right? Your, your bank, your attorney, and your accountant. Yeah. <laughs> right? And they did not let their accountant know that they were selling the business until right before the sale was going to happen. So when they went to the, their accountant and said, hey, the business is going to be sold. We're going to close on this stage. She goes, okay, cool. Let me see the paperwork. And once she saw the paperwork, she was like, why are you doing an asset sale? <laughs> so they they and I, came I, full circle yeah, back to start yeah. over again yeah, 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 yeah. And, and really at the, in the midnight hour and, and so i asked those questions early on and, and an asset sale has advantages to, mm -hmm. to the buyer and that Correct. is all past practices all past work stay the liability stays with the former owner whereas a stock sale doesn't have that protectionism right and then you can also amortize the goodwill absolutely sale, yeah. yeah so um they came there and the reason they wanted to do the switch from an asset sale to a stock sale even though the broker couldn't do that he had to kind of take a step back at this point uh is because it would have saved them we'll say well over a hundred thousand dollars in taxation 
Yep. Uh, so me being the nice guy I am agreed to do the conversion from, from a stock sale, for asset sale to a stock sale. They get a hundred and some odd dollars, hundred and some odd grand dollars back in their pocket, but I still had written into the amendment to change it to a uh, stock sale, uh, the same protection, protectionism I would have had in the asset sale. And, and one of the bonuses is doing a stock sale is everything just can be transferred right over. Yeah. Whereas an asset sale, that isn't necessarily the case. So it saved me a lot of, uh, we'll call it behind the scenes work mm -hmm. uh, to make that transaction happen. Yeah, we, we've been seeing stock sales a, a little bit more, especially in the last two years. Yeah. Um, one of the big reasons we've been seeing it is uh, with licensing issues. So uh, especially if you're collecting any kind of receivables from the government, yep. um, going through that process of having to get reapproved with them and and trying to get on their you know approved list of vendors can sometimes take six to 12 months yeah so people look at it and go ah we'll do a stock same thing if there's a license that needs to transfer you know it's, yep. it's a little easier to do it that way so i need to double check on the dates of when it is but i, I believe it starts august 1st um there's a, a new clause where business brokers can do a stock sale um, i'll have to double check on exactly what it is i know in nevada especially I think they said that they can start doing it now. Good so, trial. Yeah, so it's it's been a long time coming to get that approved, but yep. uh, it's 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 a good thing now as cool. well. Yeah. So uh, back to the inventory, uh, and, and they all kind of tie together, and that's why I bring it up. And so they hit me with, I want a hundred thousand, hundred and twenty thousand dollars more for the inventory. And I was like, uh, I've been asking you, what do you have in inventory, and you can't give me anything showing what's in inventory. How many turns do you do? How often are the turns? You know, what are the, and when you're a certified fabricator, which we are, so mm -hmm. not only do we have licensing, we've been certified to fabricate in house. And what that means is, if we fabricate it in our shop and then take it out, we don't have a have to have a third party inspect those welds we are certified fabricators and it just it saves money it saves time right uh, but in doing that you have to have an established process and a manual that you have to follow that's basically framed out by the the local entities saying you know every every piece of metal that comes in to fabricate whatever you're fabricating you have to have the mill certs you have to do a quality inspection on that you have to prove that you did the quality inspection you got to inspect every one of those welds uh and so it's a process that has to be in place and so for him to say you've got a hundred thousand dollars in inventory and we haven't talked about necessarily we do a lot of metal welding so we did talk about that and on-site fabrication in the field fabrication whatnot so um that inventory that's there is worthless to me because I don't have the mill certs for it and I don't know when they bought it so it would be impossible for me to chase it down and I'd be lying to whoever you know would be looking at our paperwork that comes in and does an audit once a year we're due in March to verify that we're following that process on every permitted job yeah at the end of the day you'd end up with a lot more liability too yeah, yeah. if you're self-certifying it yeah yeah it was so essentially worthless inventory uh and then operators uh so every time they'd replace an operator they'd this is a gate operator that makes it slide open or swing open, right? So swing gates or slide gates. And every time they would replace one, they would put it out and back and, and you know, keep it for parts. And if it needed a board, you just need to add a board and you can sell it for half the cost of the client and they get a, a new operator that functions. Well, he told me those were worth anywhere from three to $5,000. Uh, and I didn't ask the right or enough questions. Um, they're all obsolete. They're all worthless to me. They, so when I was saying, okay, that there's metal up there. I didn't know at the time I couldn't use that metal. Mm. There's operators out in the back lot, 20 of them, all worth three to $5,000. It's adding up. It makes sense. 
you know, so I talked him down, down to about a hundred thousand dollars and we agreed on a separate, you know, loan outside of your guys' loan where I'm going to incrementally pay over five years for that hundred thousand dollars in inventory. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I was taken to the cleaners on that one mm -hmm. and there's nothing really there that I assumed that I could have used. So if you could go back and, and like give someone some advice that's in the same position, uh, what what would you have done differently to look at it? Have have somebody come check it out from well, within the industry, or like, I'm sure you've thought of this now. <laughs> no, I I mean I knew enough about things to ask the right questions. I guess I just didn't press right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he said, "Come on out and look," and I did, but it would have taken me weeks to count every piece of metal and find. And, and again, I didn't know at that time what the qualifications to be a certified fabricator were mm. uh, in that the mill certs had to follow and all other good stuff. Uh, and, and I didn't know those operators were obsolete, you know? And so uh, I guess just know to ask the right questions. And if you don't know, ask someone who does. So yeah. going back to your having your expert out there, I thought we were one of very few uh, people. And I did a little bit of research on, on the competition in the area. And really there was just a handful of them. I've since learned there's like 15 of them. Right. And, mm. and we're a bigger player in that venue, but, uh, I should have called and asked. I should have said, hey, you know, are you guys doing operators? And if so, you know, I have an inventory of these operators. Here's the model number. Here's, you know, are these still in use? Right? Don't trust the seller, especially right. when they hit you in the midnight hour when you're trying to close and they know they've got you backed into a corner and you already resigned from your job. Yeah. Right? So you don't want to stir the pot. And plus, this goes uh, in part and parcel to the bigger contract and, and something I would recommend people having. The owner needs to stay around for a certain amount of time. Right? And I kept him on on site with me for the first month. And that was the way the contract was written. And then after that, he's paid for his time, right? And we agreed on a price. And there were certain caveats within that to which he tried to take advantage of. And I, I ended up standing my ground, but he was also the qualifier. Mm -hmm. And so the licensing for the C14, we'll call it structural steel, the C2, which is electrical, and then the general contracting, he held the stamps, right? I passed the test, but I, I did it under a different business entity because I had not yet acquired Weldall. Uh, and, and so it, at the end of the day, he stayed on as the qualifier, right, for up to a year. I'll just say it the way it is. Uh, he's old school management. He likes to be in charge. His way or the highway kind of mentality, and, and I operate under a very different perspective. And uh, it was somewhat of a gun held to my head. He, he mm -hmm. raised the bar on expectations. He made us permit stuff that he would have never permitted. And, and if we... So we weren't cost competitive with, uh, in the market. So we lost some revenue opportunities because mm -hmm. he held us to a standard he didn't do simply because he could. Right. So uh, my word to the wise is if you, you have the ability to get the licensing and you know what business you're going to get into, get it before you do the sale, mm -hmm. uh, and, or, or bring it with you if you already have it, um, or give yourself a very accelerated <laughs> schedule to get them out as fast as you can. Nice to have them around, learn the business but get them out as fast as you can because I learned that the gun will be held to your head if, if it can be. Yeah, there's and there's always two kind of schools of thought on that. Yeah. There's uh, somewhere I, I've heard of people, they get along great. Yeah. And I think oftentimes it's where, you know, maybe the seller was good at the sales side or, you know, the, the bookkeeping or something like that. And somebody comes in and, and they're able to work together and sometimes they end up staying for a full year and, you know, they, they're happy to help with the business and then i've had other ones where they say walk in on on you know monday say hey this is the new owner shake hands walk out never talk to each other again yep. so i think a lot of it has to do with the personality um and kind of really w what's the seller's motivation and 
you know, how, how likely are they to actually stick around and help you out? So there's always kind of two ways with that. Um, unfortunately, <clears throat> it sounds like uh, this one didn't work out very well. well but you're still after, there. The business is still oh, no, operating. No, I, so, I mean, after yeah. he was there that first month and, and really, I mean, he was pre-retired when I bought the business. Mm-hmm. He, I'll, I'll give prop, credit where credit is due. He had built a team that was self-sufficient, but not necessarily effective and efficient. I mean, it's a very manual, uh, old school mentality ran shop, but they were, they took care of the business. You mm-hmm. come in in the morning, do the pricing on some estimates and off you go. And so that allowed me to dig in right out of the gate and, and build out, you know, the estimating pricing matrix instead of using pencil and paper and razor shavings everywhere. I actually built something out uh, in Excel that is mostly automated. So, cool. uh, and I'm now training the team to use those tools so they can do real-time estimating and, and get rid of them writing it down, me typing it up and, you know, and, and doing all this other good stuff. So he built a team that was self-sufficient. In other words, the business ran whether he was there or not. And it it made it easy for me to transition into the business. And and from the time he left, which was a month to the day after I bought the business, I never called him once for advice or otherwise. know how to run a shop, right? And, yeah. And I just needed to know well, the yeah, inner workings. Yeah, you had managed 600 and, employees at one yeah. time. I think it'd be okay. <laughs> yeah, I would I would hope so. And, and I'll never forget, he, he, when I first came, he goes, Michael, I don't think you know what you got yourself into. And I thought, okay. Yeah, I never had a phone call. And I think that kind of hurt his feelings, which is maybe mm. why he yelled the gun in my head. And I'm going too deep into this stuff. But at the end of the day, the business no, runs. I think, I think it's good, though, for yeah. listeners to understand not every deal is, is you know, sweet and yeah. just goes right through. There, there's a lot that goes on afterwards that kind of leads to, you know, providing advice for how to set it up from the beginning, right? Yep. So, you know, when you're when you're working on the purchase agreement, you're working on those negotiations and the due diligence, it's good to kind of think long-term ahead and yep. see, okay, what, what could go wrong here? Um, let me make sure I'm protected. Let me make sure I completely understand what I'm getting myself into. So I think, I think it's fair to, to talk about how it went afterwards, yeah. Well, and one last little piece on that. So the fact that he stayed on as qualifier the license holder and qualifier for a mm. while because it was three licenses that need to be picked up i allowed him to have that gun to my head right mm. and for those reasons i had to keep the peace and i i lamented more than i otherwise would have so uh i, I think it stalled growth opportunities mm. and it stalled revenue growth and everything else that said through no doing of my own but the first year in is the highest revenue year that company's ever had well good yeah so, so well, the next things year are well. you'll, you'll beat it so now i just need to get the margin up <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Great, cool. Yeah. So, so I mean, it all it all kind of worked out. Um, you've you've brushed on it a, a little bit about the licensing. Mm-hmm. So, um, as lenders, typically what we're going to look for, and and you you kind of hinted at this, some good advice for for a buyer. Um, there's a lot of people that that want to buy a business, um, whether it's you know construction or something else, where a licensing is required. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when somebody asks them, you know, typically the broker, even the the seller will ask. Uh, you know, how do you plan on handling this? What are you going to do to pick up this license? Yep. And there's some people that say, uh, you know, someone in your shoes, you had the experience. Um, you know, it, it took some hoops to jump through to, to be able to sit for the test and, and get it done. And then there's some other people that will bring on a partner. Um, you know, the, at the end of the day, I think uh, a lot of the lenders want to push for the seller not to be the one that stays on. And technically with the SBA, they're not supposed to remain on for uh, an extended period of time as a key employee or as an officer of the company. Well, typically when they're the license holder or the qualified individual, they're literally a key employee and an officer of the company. So the lenders always push for that. But 
you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about like the licensing process and kind of what you went through to get it. And then, you know, I think you kind of already provided some of the advice on, on what you would recommend for a buyer. Yeah, and I'll restate that. Bring the license with you before you go to look for the loan. It makes yeah. the process a whole lot easier. Or at least uh, start working on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and start the process. So uh, I didn't know what I was going to buy. I was actually focused on HVAC, uh, and then I stumbled across this organization. Uh, but, yeah, the process actually wasn't too onerous, but uh, just like any other, I'll say, it, government entity, uh, there's some bureaucracy to work through and some red tape to work through, and, and, and every time you give them what you they tell you you need to give them they would ask you for something else or they would ask you to change things so it was it was a process that took a whole lot longer than it should have just to get to the point where i'm approved to test mm -hmm. and then of course it late in the game and, and i appreciate that they you guys forced me to do it because i got it out of the way i was forced to take take and pass the test before we could close on the loan and, and not all three of them just the mm -hmm. one which is the c14 and whatever it's worth a very difficult test and, and again walked into in the room uh full of uh i won't say those words but i was very confident walking in the room and walked out of the room humbled passed the test but i thought i was going to ace it and not even close right i, I remember you telling yeah. me that i think yeah. you, you called me that morning and said hey uh, that was a lot harder than I thought it was <laughs> yes, going to be. And, and you studied for it. Oh, and, uh, you, and you'd obviously had a background in it. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they do a good job talking you out of the right answers and the questions. Mm. And, uh, and, and it's all multiple choice. But at the end of the day, I got the license, you know, and it's behind us. Uh, and the approval to test on the electrical took six months thereafter. Uh, just again, running through very, very different hoops. And well, the resume has to read this way and, and your letters of recommendation have to read this way. And you can't just do the same letters for multiple licenses, even though it talks to it. Uh, you got to prove that you had four years experience in that space uh, for the last 15 years. And, and so I already did it for the C14, the electrical and, you know, the general contractor. We're, really, we don't ever use it, but it needs to be in place, too, to grow mm -hmm. the venue. But, yeah, it was it was a process and it wasn't easy. Uh, and the tests weren't easy and uh, you can't over prepare for those. You can't. Yeah. So it was a good thing you, you at least got the one lined up and yep. then now you're now you're in the, in the right spot and you're ready to yep. to take on a lot more business. So Indeed. what uh, what's kind of your, your plans now for for yeah. the future? Great, great question. So we're, we're converting from, you know, C Corp to an S Corp um, okay. and that'll probably I've got to do it by March of March 15th, I think. Uh, but in, in the same vein. The name of the company doesn't talk to the businesses we offer, the services we offer. Mm. Uh, the company was founded in welding, so the company's name is Weld All Incorporated. Uh, we're going to be changing it to Milan Services LLC, most likely. And, and I'm still working through that because and I'm consulting with my accountant and I'm a consultant with my attorney, and they're giving me good advice, and I have those two working together. And we're, but I, I, wanted, I also want to rebrand the company. So uh, haven't done anything with the website, haven't done anything marketing or otherwise. The company just works, right? Uh, phones are ringing off the hook. I have the right level of employees after some healthy attrition uh, <laughs> took place uh, about six months in. And we just recently hired another electrician. But at the end of the day, once I flip that switch uh, on the rebranding of the company, and of course, you know, on our signatures, on our emails and everything else, it's, it's already Milan LLC doing business as well, doll. Yeah. So the name is there, but I haven't promoted the name in any way. So uh, do I leave it Milan LLC or do I Milan Services? But I want to start name dropping on our invoices, on our estimates that are going out, that are on our signatures, on our emails, on Yelp and everything else. Uh, and then when I do the switch, it's not going to be a foreign name to them, but it's a process. So mm -hmm. once I get that whole process taken care of, 
marketing and advertising happens and be careful what you look for, what you ask for. Cause I, I really think the company's just going to explode from there. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I, I would love, <laughs> I'd love it. Do you have any, any aspirations to buy any uh, business again? Absolutely. I'm already in conversations with a small HVAC company cool. uh, in, in that transaction would probably be him holding the license. Mm -hmm. Me buying the company, uh, the contract, of course, would be written in such a way where he has to stay on for a certain amount of years, no matter what. Probably give him some shares uh, in, in, in profits and otherwise. You grow the business, you get some more money back, that kind of thing. But right now, it's just preliminary conversations. I was looking for HVAC out of the gate. Yeah. Ended up with something that has a platform to grow into a multiple service venue. Yeah, yeah no, that'd be great. I mean, obviously, if you can combine the two, you know, makes a lot of sense. There's, there's a lot of crossover, uh, you know, in the industry, so... Makes sense. Cool. It's good cool. to hear. Yeah, and, and also, and we've we're we're already being asked to the table. Uh, we're more on the repair side of things, but now new construction, mm. installing new carport, commercial carports for new apartment complexes, uh, and also the railing on balconies. Uh, we're 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 in those bids now. So those instead yeah, I of doing you talking about wanting yeah. to do that, and you, you and, felt and like I didn't that even was ask a, for it. It just started happening. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was something you identified when yeah. when you came to me at the beginning and said, "Hey, they're not even doing this. This is something they yeah. should be doing." So absolutely, obviously, you were right about that. So yep. yeah. so it was okay to be a little arrogant. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, I thought it wouldn't happen until after I started doing the marketing, and advertising, going out and beating on the doors of the construction companies. But the company has a good enough reputation, a good enough name locally, where people are just hearing about us through word of mouth. And, and getting invited to the table. Yesterday, I walked to a site that is 91 carports, and it's oh, wow. a new construction facility. You know, right now it's well it was Greenfield. It's basically uh, a big, uh, I don't want to say 75,000 square foot property that's not for apartments. It's it's uh, massages and things like that. Oh, okay. A Turkish massage place that's just hmm. huge uh, with 91 carports, solar carports, and and the guy heard about us word of mouth and did business with us 10 years ago. And, and, you know, the, the railings for a new apartment complex, hundreds of railings, cookie cutter. Now we're a manufacturing company, right? Yeah. So you can have that faction, which I come from manufacturing as well, mm -hmm. but also the service and, and then the new construction. So this company's primed. It's, it's, it's perfectly set up. The infrastructure's there. Just need to get out there and start banging on doors. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. I, I have no doubt that, that you will. So some great information, great advice. Um, I always ask two questions at the end. So first one is, uh, do you have a mentor or have you ever had a mentor? I've been blessed in many ways. Uh, early, early in my career with the first company, uh, the vinyl extrusion company out of Seattle, um, an HR manager came in and he's the one who taught me the Deming philosophies. And if you don't know what that is, there's plenty of books and stuff out there. Uh, also, you know, seven habits, highly effective people and that kind of stuff. But he, as an HR manager, he grew that company from 100 people to by the time they sold to a public entity, about a thousand people, one location in Seattle, uh, to three factories. They bought one in uh, Rockford, Illinois. We built one in Kentucky, oversaw that construction and developed the programs there. Uh, and then of course the original in Seattle, and we just kept on knocking down walls and expanding that facility. But it was the uh, leadership philosophies he's instilled and he started pulling in people who were smarter than the owner to grow the business. And that's those early, you know, uh, your your formative years in in your career and having the right people around you, you call them mentors. I've had several of them, and, and I've been blessed in that regard. Yes, and, cool. and and if you don't have them, find them. And here's what I will also say. Uh, now I'm a business owner, uh, and, and my girlfriend uh, is a business owner. And before I bought this business, all of her friends are business owners. So you have that network of uh, mm -hmm. people around you. So I used to be a service provider. I managed people and all that good stuff. 
it's a different kind of conversation you have when you're a business owner and, and uh, getting surrounding yourself with people who are there teaches you a lot faster and also opens up many doors to grow. Yeah. I had a, a really good credit manager I worked with for a really long time. His name was Tony. He would, uh, he would always say, Jared, you don't understand how to run a business until you had to make payroll. Yep. <laughs> so True. it was always kind of funny. And then y you can see the people that have had to make payroll usually understand each other a little more. So it's great. So last question, what drives you? What motivates you? What, what makes you want to get up every day and, and be successful? I'm just, I don't know. I've always been wired that way. I'll always, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I'll outwork anybody, right? Uh, and, and as a parent, now mm -hmm. a grandparent, right? You want to build a legacy and you want something that the family can carry on. Now, because of licensing and the skill sets that are required to have this business, uh, that's a bit of a unicorn. Not to say I'm calling myself a unicorn, but to have someone who can step into that seat, uh, my boys aren't going to be doing that. So I've yeah. got to start thinking about the future in that regard. But the family can still hold the paper, right? Yeah, uh, and, and you're still being a great example. Yeah, so. uh, and hopefully, eventually, uh, they get involved in some way, shape, or form. But uh, yeah, it's it's more or less trying to, you know, build a legacy and give someone something for the kids to carry on and, yeah. and continue to grow. That's great. Yeah. So well, I really appreciate you coming on. There's a lot of My great friend. advice, um, and I'll see you at the family reunion. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, right. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. For more information, or if you'd like to discuss a transaction, please go to www.jaredwjohnson.com.